Guru Nation, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. It really means a lot to me. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. Thank you so much. Leave a review. I wanted to also thank my sponsors who make this show possible. The first one is Viva Sight Vault. Absolutely free. By the way, links to all of this stuff is in the show notes. Viva Sight Vault. If you are a site and you wanted to dip your toe into going digital and for e-reg and to start messing around with e-signatures, this is the way to go. They are the biggest name in our industry from a tech vendor standpoint. They're site-centric. They make this easy for us, guys and gals. And it's absolutely free. Sites.viva.com. Check it out. I use it. I also use Versatrail, which is my next sponsor. Versatrail has made my life so easy as a coordinator from an organization standpoint. Links to all these portals are in one easy place. You can literally link to anything you can think of, whether it's a protocol or it's the latest informed consent form or it's the IRT or it's the vendor to upload this or the other vendor to upload that. It's all there in one easy place. Not to mention, they do a lot on the feasibility side, which makes feasibility surveys a breeze. Check it out. This is a company that is going places. Versatrail. My next sponsor is Creo. I've been using Creo for years. They are eSource and eReg and CTMS and patient database and eConsent and so many more other things. And while they are not free, I definitely think it is worth the price for what you are getting. It has streamlined my research studies and my site, and I got all my coordinators trained on it, and I could not picture running my site without Creo. So check it out. Link in the show note. Finally, Inato, a free service for business development. Go figure. Link in the show note. It makes figuring out what studies you want easier. It makes figuring out what you're going to get if you accept a study super simple. And it really streamlines the process for knowing what's out there on the market. You can use it for as many investigators as you have. And again, it's absolutely free in Nato. Also in the show notes are links to the businesses I own, specifically DSCS, where we help sites get studies, do their contracts, help you with surveys, anything else you can think of, a shoulder to cry on, low monthly fee. And then we have the CRA, CRC Academies and everything else. Guru Nation, thank you so much for checking out another episode. Like, subscribe, comment, share. If you are listening in the show notes, there is this guy named Ted Trafford. He's awesome. He's been my LinkedIn connection for a while. He actually even has a YouTube video where he talks about clinical trial acronyms. Um, Ted is the Director of Business Development for Probity Medical Research. He's been doing this almost three decades, guys. He said the date of this recording, what was it, Ted? Exactly what, 28 years? 28 years ago, yeah, today. Happy anniversary. Thanks, man. Thanks you still remember the actual date? That's crazy. How do you do that? I don't remember the actual date I started. <laughs> I, I do because it, I was, when I interviewed as a, you know, for a clinical research assistant position, I was fresh out of university. 
Um, and, uh, you know, went through the series of interviews. And so that's a momentous occasion, your first job at a university. And yeah, the date just stuck with me. And wow. I think it, I think it hit home because my boss, uh, Dr. Kim Papp, came into my office on the first day and put the Code of Federal Regulations on my desk and said, you need to know this. <laughs> and so. Wow. You know, so on being, day one, that's, yeah. that's how it was. Like you just got thrown in. It sounds like just like everyone else. Oh yeah. You gotta, you gotta swim right away. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're going to get into exactly what probity does, exactly what you've been. It's really rare to find someone who's been at the same company for this long. It is. So, it is. There's so much movement in our industry. Yeah. But. So I got to get into like why you haven't moved. Um, there's a lot of questions I have. And we were talking a little bit off the air about the wave of tech vendors entering our space. And really, they're site centric, site solution oriented. We're going to get into that because I know you, one of the stakeholders you guys serve are sites as well. So it's site sponsor, CROs, tech vendor. You guys serve everyone. Yeah, it's it's developed so much over the years, uh, you know, grown from a single site uh, in the early days. So, yeah, a lot of change. We've seen a lot of change in clinical research. You know, when I started, there was no ICH guidelines. We're going to go through just before we get into the show. Thank you to my four sponsors, Viva Site Vault. Are you familiar with Viva Site Vault? Ted? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they do free EREG, free investigator site file. If you're a site looking to, afraid to dab their toe in the water of e-reg e-signatures, uh, how do you guys find that a lot of sites right now, Ted, are considering switching to all digital? Or I think it's tough. You, you look at the variety of sites. Obviously, the the big networks are a little more. Uh, able to embrace these kinds of things and set them up the the single site sole proprietor i think it's it's it, it can be really tough uh yeah. there, there's definitely some you know investment in technology that's needed in order to get you there in time and resources and yeah so it's 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 something that you know i see in in the future it's going to be that's what we're going to be doing but uh i think it's a hard transition it's a tough sell. You bring up a good point. Like three out of my four sponsors are free for sites, but free is not always free. Dad, you're right. Like you, somebody's got to invest into setting up the uh, SOPs. Although these vendors do a good job of providing templates, uh, but then the learning curve, you know, and then the staff hesitancy. Like the more senior the staff, the more hesitant they are to adopt changes. So that's some of the challenges we have, but. Viva Site Vault. Go get it, guys. Link in the show notes. Next one, Versatrial. Have you heard of Versatrial? Yeah, I know them well, actually. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah, engaged with Mike uh, the first time a year ago. And uh, yeah, really impressed with what they're doing. Uh, the way they the way they're moving in, in this field, I think, is really impressive. That leadership team, Mike, you know, being a repeat serial entrepreneur or repeat founder having successful exits like and he came he came to yuma and visited me you guys could go watch the podcast or listen to the podcast um spent a day and a half just shadowing me like we were doing two screenings or we were doing a randomization and a screening on the same day 
and he saw all the chaos uh, because it was a new randomization for a new study we had. So we've never he's witnessed the entire chaos that ensued, and of course things didn't go right, and it was perfect for him to witness things not going right because that's what happens like half the time, and um, he just gets it. I feel like he gets it. That's a that's a technology. It's free, guys. Link in the show notes. Versatile keeps your studies organized, helps you with feasibility, but so much more than that. Um, go check it out, and I'm glad you get a chance to meet Mike Ted. That's pretty cool. I think he's a cool guy too. Yeah, it's it's the one of the reasons they've been successful in their development is the amount of time that they spend listening to sites, and uh, you know, as a as a site site network, it's it's so exciting to have those people that are willing to listen. Because often, you know, we're putting things out there and wondering if if anybody's hearing us. It's not tech forced on the sites. Like I feel like last decade pre COVID, it was hey sponsors forcing tech on sites, and so sites were like yeah we hate this idea of tech. Now it's sites optionally choosing hey I want this tech I want this tech this is. Seems like it's going to help my site grow. Versatrial is definitely one of them. I'm going to try to stump you. Maybe you don't know the next two. Inato, are you familiar? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, you know all these guys. You're for <laughs> three decades. Into we have this. been around. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's exciting just to see you know what they're doing and and uh, the potential to kind of bring this together and collaborate. I think it's. Uh, yeah, I think it's great. You know, I'm trying to convince them that they need to add brand new sites to clinical research to yes. uh, their platform as well. And hopefully, hopefully they will. That's the next step for them. I think they have to ease yeah. into it because sponsors, you know, the it's free for sites. So not as biz dev for sites for those that don't know, but they really vet you. Like you kind of have to have experience and show proof that you've done similar studies for the studies you're applying for. But once you get to that like critical two year mark as a site, which my site's at, it's almost perfect timing to get into this. So not as free biz dev for sites. And they really vet, like they make sure that it's a study that you're going to do well on. I think that is a step that's missing because it's one thing to get studies for sites. My company, we help sites get studies and we're going to talk about what you guys do with sites, Ted, but we help sites get study, and we do work with new sites that first study is the hardest, but we don't necessarily make sure the client's a good fit. We leave it up to the client say, hey, you're getting the study. Make sure you can get patients for it. But Anato goes a step further because the sponsor is paying them. So that's their stakeholder. They got to take care of the sponsor, but it's free for the sites. Get on it, sites. Finally, Creo, eSource, eReg, CTMS. Uh, financial report do you know creo ted i do yeah yeah it's it's really it's great to have these companies that are that are building tech for sites you know that's and, right and the more companies that get into the space and and the more tech that's developed it's just going to get better and and hopefully more affordable i love creo it's got everything built into it ctma you don't need to buy all this like stuff it's all there e-source what ray's trying to do with getting rid of edcs on the cro side that's something we need to look into and i don't know did you as somebody doing this for 28 years ted did you expect this date to come where we're having this conversation about edc and 
its redundancy and why it's needed? In the early days, absolutely not. But um, <laughs> of course, the early days were before EDC as well. But uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, no, I think in the last uh, 10, 15 years, we've been having a lot of discussions ourselves about it because, uh, you know, I tend to look at things with, uh, you know, a long lens down the road, um, looking far into the future and trying to plan for that. And, and so it's something we've definitely been hoping that uh, someday will come. Okay, so you get in, you graduate college 95. Yep. All right. And you get in in 95 as a managing director. No, I was, a, I was an assistant. I oh, was a okay, research okay. assistant back gotcha, then. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. Yeah. So research yeah. assistant for probity medical research? Yeah, just as it was getting wow. founded. And wow. uh, it was a single site at the time. It was, there was five employees, a couple of receptionists, a coordinator. I was a research assistant. My boss, uh, Dr. Papp, uh, dermatologist, and, and he was just getting started in clinical research. And uh, wow. yeah, so this was a site that is sort of evolved. Yeah, over very the much so. Yeah, well, what happened was uh, Dr. Papp had this vision as he was starting in clinical research that he didn't want to do clinical research alone, that he wanted to collaborate with others, you know, on, on research. And he also saw how hard research was. And so he wanted to try and build something that would remove some of the administrative burden from clinical trials. And that was back in a time where it's nothing compared to the administrative burden now. Um, I honestly don't know how new sites get into clinical research and, and do it well right from the start when, with everything that we're forcing them to do. Wow. Okay. So it started as a dermatology site. Yep. You just fresh out of college, research assistant. So far, it seems a very traditional route, you know, done with college stumble into a small research site how did you even find out about this career path like how did oh, you find out to that's apply? the best part so i had graduated university and uh my parents had some friends that gave me a graduation card and in the graduation card was a job posting for a research assistant and at the time i just knew you know i didn't want to do my master's i was done with with school i wanted to get working and so, yeah, I went through series of interviews, uh, got the job, and yeah, the rest is is, is industry. Yeah. So inside the graduation card was a purposefully planted hint. Yeah, best graduation present ever. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it was incredible. And then, yeah, it's been, uh, you know, well, you know what it's like to start a new company and oh, the amount yeah. of work that goes into it. So. You know, I was young, I had tons of energy, I was naive, and just poured myself into it, you know, and, uh, and it was it, I mean, it's still really exciting, but uh, it's I really like building something and growing something. Yeah. Wow. So you were like employee number one, or two. I was employee number four, number yep. four. Yeah. And you've stuck with them from research assistant. All the way to biz dev director. Yep. Uh, yep. For 28 years, exactly to this day. Exactly to this day. And and it's been, you know, like with everything, there's lots of challenges, lots of exciting things that happen uh, for, 
many years, I think probably about 20 years, I served as the managing director for the company. Um, you know, I, I had a, a short stint as a study coordinator. So, you know, I, I've done that job too. Um, mind you, many, many years ago. So after research assistant was coordinator, I'm Correct. guessing. Yep. Yep. And then after how many years as coordinator? Uh, I'm going to guess probably two or three. Okay. And then after that, what came next? Because this company mm -hmm. must have evolved as your career was that's exactly off. it. I, I grew up with it, right? And so then I became the managing director of a very small company. And and to be honest, the title was a title more so that the pharmaceutical companies would pay attention to me when I reached out to them and emailed them, you know, and called them because uh, you know it's tough when you are a new research site. Like I remember, so back then. Most research was actually done at, at hospital institutions. There wasn't a lot of community-based clinical research going on then. And I used to, you know, call and email pharmaceutical companies and I'd get responses back saying, oh, no, 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 we only deal with tier one uh, investigators. Wow. You know, and... They stopped saying that. <laughs> they did. They did. Imagine excluding community-based clinicians because they're not in this hypothetical tier yeah but that's the way it was and uh it just again because i was youthful not afraid to make cold calls i just stepped up the volume of, of cold calls and cold emails and you know just uh leveraging everything i could in order to try and find us uh studies you're and, right because this was in the early days of, like email was barely a thing right i was using time. my own personal email address we didn't even have company email. I remember that when I started at 05, I was using my Yahoo email. And then to be more professional, I still had my .edu university email. So I used that. Yeah. And it wasn't like a few years later, we got our own .com. That's right. Well, and it was so expensive back then to get your own .com. <laughs> Forget about thing. LinkedIn and all this stuff. But interestingly enough, LinkedIn came kind of early too, like earlier than people think. LinkedIn yeah, was absolutely. around like 2010, 2009. I remember I first got into LinkedIn, but 2009 would have already been 13 years into your career. No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So like so, it, the good first decade of your career was like no social media, almost no email. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, you, you may do like literally I was making bold old phone calls. I was getting the names wow. of people that were involved in clinical research at different companies. And, uh, you know, we would connect with <laughs> other researchers we knew were doing research and get them to make introductions or give us names. And wow. Yeah. If you had a time machine and go back to that, Ted, yeah. and say, hey, here's anato.com. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> like, here's your studies. I mean, that would have been like sweet, right? <laughs> oh, it would have been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. The industries evolve. I feel like people that are just getting in have no idea. And I mean, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Do you see it's improving or do you see it's like just oh. opens up new challenges? Great question. So some things are definitely improving. So. Uh, I do agree with having more standardized regulations. You know, the introduction of ICH back in the day was a really big step. 
Um, it definitely helped. And then we have other things that are making research far more difficult because, you know, we, we, we have tech and you mentioned tech forced upon us. Uh, and a lot of that tech is actually forced before it's ready to be launched. And I think some <laughs> they use us as the guinea pig. We're the sites. We're the in their clinical trial as the you know the beta users. Absolutely. And then you know things don't go smoothly, and you know sites get frustrated, and you wonder why recruitment slows when it takes you twice as long to see a patient in a study because of the tech that's involved. Like we're far less efficient now than uh, we mm. were ten years ago. The physicians in our network tell me that uh, they're they're half as efficient. They see they see half the number of patients in a day that uh, they did ten years ago with all the tech that's been added to the studies and clinical research, right? Yeah, uh, I want to interweave between topics and back to your career, but I yeah. haven't lost my place. So today, one of the things we discussed before we started recording, which I'm debating just recording as soon as the guest comes on now because there's so much good stuff like at the beginning. But I feel like that would be too intense for a lot of people um, before we at least say hi. But, Ted, we were talking about protocols getting more complex. I think that's one of the things where I – you've been in it a decade longer than me. But even me, like I'm old school now too. 05, I started. Studies were difficult, but they were still – uh attainable for like real world patients you know like i remember one of my first studies was a schizophrenia study my next one was a bipolar study the majority of patients in our private practice with those conditions did qualify you know the the wild card was do they want to qualify um will they be stable enough to continue but it was never a question like will this person randomize or not it was like rare when you had a screen failure. Now, it's super rare to find someone that's going to randomize. And I've interviewed other industry experts and they said, well, exploratory endpoints are to blame. Or the tech, you know, maybe that's like a whole separate conversation. What do you think is going on? Like, are you noticing the same thing or like what what's happening? Well, the, yeah, the protocols have definitely gotten more complex, but I think we we look at all the things we've built into into trials over the years, like you said, the exploratory endpoints, and and sometimes in in studies we've got this just massive list of endpoints, but the protocols I don't think in their structure have evolved to really match the complexity of the trials. So you know we were talking about the table of procedures in a protocol and how they'll have these footnotes that just go on and on and on that, you know, we're building a protocol that's inherently going to create uh, deviations in a study just because they're getting so complex and there's so many little details and they're inconsistent or there's mistakes. And, you know, we, back in the day, we never used to have protocol amendments. And now you look at the volume of protocol amendments that come through because, you know, just to fix errors or typos or, you know, we designed a study that we really can't complete. So now we have to modify the criteria. Protocols have, have, have 
need to change in order to make it simpler. And, and, and I'm excited that there's groups out there that are working on this, that, uh, that are trying to help push forward the idea that, you know, the, the typical study protocol is getting too complex and we need to simplify it for the people doing the work. It's interesting you say, so at the protocol level, you th- so it's not the IE criteria itself, you think it's like oh it's partly that they've yeah. gotten you look at how long they've gotten they didn't used to be that long <laughs> i have one study with 55 exclusion criteria right now <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, a bunch of footnotes they get into the z i think they used up like all the letters of the alphabet well and we're looking for that perfectly healthy patient with just uh that one condition that's being studied and and those people are really hard to find you know we we limit the bmi so specifically in so many protocols where it it doesn't need to be as low as it is we need to be designing study protocols that are going to enroll patients and participants that uh, at the end of the day would actually receive the drug once it hits the market Right. And at the same time that BMIs across society, Western society are increasing. I mean, these are not real. And then you talk about going to underserved communities where this obesity epidemic hits hardest. And they say diversity. We want diversity, too. So it's like, all right, you want all this stuff. (laughs) But it's I mean, we'll try. That's basically like what it boils down to. We'll try. So you think like this redesigning. So, okay. I think what you're saying is, hey, it looks like the IE criteria is not going to get simpler. So let's like not even fight that fight anymore. But we're we're looking at the protocol, like redesigning the protocol so that it's at least easier to follow. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. Or Or, or if it has to stay because, you know, ICH has just come out with their draft new guidance. And and they're basically dictating what a protocol is going to look like. And that's fine. I'm glad that there's some uh, consistency internationally with, uh, you know, having a standard. But we also need to think about how studies are actually done. And, you know, that coordinator who is with the patient in the room and how do we make it easy for them to do their job so that things don't get missed so that the participant is protected and kept safe in the clinical trial. And as we build more things into these protocols, that's harder and harder to achieve. I want to get back to your career as far as it's so rare for someone to stay with the same company. I mean, it's, it's you and like literally the guest I interviewed last week, Esther Howard. Oh yeah. Stayed with a CRO. Do you know her too? No, I don't. I oh, met her okay. actually. I, I met her because of your interview. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. That's I sent that group text, and then <clears throat> there was another TED. Apparently, there's a lot of TEDs out there. I was just it's naive. A, it's a problem. Man. There's so much confusion with TEDs. <laughs> she stayed with her CRO for almost thirty years too, until yeah. she went out and became an entrepreneur. And I asked her the same thing, but she, she, uh, it was a big CRO. You you got in. It sounds like with like a startup that kind of became like a bigger company with you. Yeah, I grew up with the company, right? And there's lots of 
trials and tribulations during that process. And there's also some really exciting moments. Like I love, uh, I love closing a deal, you know, and I also love to take something and do it better than somebody else, you know, to see a problem and solve it when nobody else could solve it. So, and that yeah. happened a lot in the early days where, you know, we would get this opportunity to do a study that was a really tough study and we would just figure out how to do it when nobody else could. Like one of the studies we had in the early days was a psoriasis study with a new infusion drug. And this was back, you know, just at the beginning of biologic treatments for uh, different indications and the infusion visits were, you know, six hours long. I know. <laughs> so how, so no wonder recruitment was struggling as a phase two trial. And we had, so what we did was we just sat down and said, okay, how can we do this? Well, our investigator committed his Sundays for the next like six months. And uh, we hired a couple of infusion nurses and we would stagger the infusions. And so we'd make them an hour apart so we could get the people in and they would sit around the boardroom table getting these infusions because that's the only space we had. And it turned it in to this massive psoriasis support group. So patients loved it. And, you know, in a study where nobody could recruit, I think we put in like 28 patients and, uh, you know, managed to complete the study, went on from there. And that was a huge milestone for, for us. And yeah. uh, sometimes Did you just got to do what you need to do. I love those like innovative recru- uh, strategy sites come up with, you know, one of the things that Save Our Sites Conference and thank you for supporting us, Ted. Um, Ted might be out there. He registered, but he might he may be out there, guys. So you might see him there. But if not, his LinkedIn's underneath this video and in the show notes. I I've dabbled with the support group thing too. It's funny that like independently we come up with our own ideas that are similar. Yeah. So back in 2010, I had a oh nine, I think I had a really tough psych study, and it was Alzheimer's. Um moderate to severe so what we did we created a support group in our site for family members of Alzheimer's and so they would come and meet other family members and we'd have like I'd have a social worker there a therapist just like leading the talks and it did help get us patients the we did get some pushback from sponsors though because sponsors while they liked the enrollment because no one else was enrolling they had concerns about Will patients talk to each other and try to figure out are you're getting placebo, you're not? Like, are they going to look at the pills and try to compare or switch? They didn't want patients like interacting. And which is crazy. I know. I mean, I understand why. Yeah. But well, I guess what are your thoughts on that? Because did, did you have this pushback as well when you did the support group? Um, I think. The the sponsors just the biggest concern was you know patient privacy were the patients okay with it and and you know what if if there was a particular patient that wasn't okay with it then you know we would set up a separate infusion room for them and and they'd be in a private space but uh, for the most part everybody 
just absolutely loved it because they finally had other people in common that uh, you know understood what they were going through. So it was it was very positive, and it, and it's actually really interesting because that the creativeness that we used to, to be able to complete that study and and do well in that study came out of uh, a miss in a previous study. Uh, we had been uh, selected for a vaccine study and we were we had a recruitment uh, target of 75 participants and I think we enrolled like 78 and we thought we had just done an amazing job that was unheard of for us to enroll that many participants in the study wow. we were pretty proud of ourselves set until we found out that there was another site that had enrolled 350 participants <laughs> and we just looked at each other and said, oh, we, we missed a huge opportunity here. So the next study that came around that was a big opportunity, we wanted to make sure we weren't going to miss out on it. And that happened to be that psoriasis infusion study. Wow. Interesting. So the dermatologist founder, I'm guessing, right? The PA yep. was the founder. Um, is he still around, like involved? Yeah, he still is. He's still the president of the company. Wow. Dr. Papp and I have been working together 28 years now. And uh, is he on yeah. LinkedIn? <laughs> he is. Wow. Yeah, we can do a part two and have him on if he'd be down. Yeah, for sure. I would love to get him on. So it's interesting to have like, because there's a lot of physicians, entrepreneurs that watch as well. And a lot yeah. of them are just thinking about getting started. So I, I guess I'll ask you and I'll save some other questions for him. But moving from Derm to because now you guys do so many different things like at Probity. It's not just a site. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah. So Probity Medical Research is a consortium of sites or network of sites. And we do have a lot of dermatology sites in our network, but we also have allergy immunology, cardiology, rheumatology. Um, and we, we now have, I think, 64 sites across five countries. So we're in the U.S., Canada, Australia, Chile, and Mexico. Wow, you got Mexico on there? Yeah, yeah. And they're a large multi-specialty site, so they kind of do everything. We're going to have to get you on. Let me write this down because we're going to have to get you on on Latinos in Clinical Research podcast as well um, to great. discuss the Chile and the Mexico sites. Did you say any other Latin America country? No. and No. I, you know... That's tough. One of my L SOS business partner and L um, Latinos and clinical research business partners, Judy Galindo, both her and I are on border towns. She's about 40 minutes from me on the California side. I'm on the Arizona side. We're both like bordering Mexico here. Yeah. And she actually tried to start a site in Mexico. And she was saying that their regulatory agencies there, I forget the name. Um, their version what is it i can't remember either yeah their version of the fda they're so strict they're so slow by the time they got sponsored to say yes it took like a year to get like approval so she just gave up on it so maybe we can do a whole deep dive into how you guys do this yeah it's really it's really challenging because of the timelines in some countries and uh, uh on the on the flip side their ability to recruit uh, can be phenomenal. So sometimes they've only had the opportunity of a few weeks 
to uh, enroll in a clinical trial, and yet uh, they, they've done extraordinarily well with the, the short time frames that they might have. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. But really what my question was headed, was leading towards was, <clears throat> you said Durham, then vaccine, then back to Durham. What, what, the, what was this vaccine study? What was it for? Not it Durham, was, right? No. It, well, yes and no. It was a herp, herpes simplex vaccine. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so yeah. same PI? Same PI? Same PI, yeah. So when did he start, or you guys start expanding? Like, what was your first? Because I'm guessing the typical site that does this, yep, they start doing different therapeutic areas, then they have new sites, then they get into more stuff, and then eventually a small enough sponsor says, hey, do you help with, like, setting up a study? And then that's how, like, how it that's kind of how it evolved for me on a small scale. How did it evolve for you guys to where you're like an advisor to CROs even and all kinds of stuff you got going on? Yeah, I think it's, it's evolved because as opportunities presented, we seize those opportunities. So, you know, we, and it, so, so that's the first part. The second part is finding good people. Like it all it all really comes down to good people. So one having great staff, and by the way, uh, those three other people that I started uh, working with are still at the company. Um, wow, retention high at your at yeah, your company. So they're not they're not with Probity, but they're with that clinical research site site that is still in existence. So, um, but yeah, as far as uh, finding good people, so good investigators, good physicians who are good clinicians who are willing to work and um, are, are interested in research. And so, and for us, it was one at a time. So, our very first uh, foray into research with other physicians was in family medicine. So, we knew lots of family medicine docs because they referred to the dermatology clinic. So we just started reaching out and saying, hey, are you interested in, in doing research? And, you know, 27 years ago or 26 years ago, we had uh, a sponsor that we had been working with in dermatology clinical trials that had a hypertension drug. And wow. so they said, do you want to do a hypertension study? So we said, yeah. So we contacted these physicians who were family docs who had you know, patients who are hypertensive and said, here's our plan. And so this was really, you know, kind of the beginning of the whole kind of, kind of decentralized trials experience where I would drive to the physician's office and I'd take the lab kit with me. I would take the, the drug with me. It was a simple study where you just gave the next drug in sequence. So it was really easy to do. and and you know, we, that's how we, uh, followed patients at a number of different clinics. Wow. Yeah. And you guys do just about every indication, um, yeah, these the, days, right? Well, not every, we're, we're very much focused on, you know, the specialty areas that we work in. And so our model really works well with uh, specialist sites. So, and, and it's, it's growing in other therapeutic areas as we find, you know, a physician who either wants to expand 
their clinical research and make things more efficient at their site, or a new investigator who's wondering, well, how do I get into to research? And I so, see. but but it really was one physician at a time how we grew. And, wow. you know, the next one was a urologist who was local in town and wanted to do research. And again, we find opportunities to work together and and it would grow from there until we were at the point where we thought we had everything in place to be able to support a site remotely. And uh, so then our next foray was, hey, we've got this dermatology trial. We've got a dermatologist that's three hours away from us. Let's see if we can support them remotely. And so that's what we did. And what year was this where you guys thought? That was 1999. So you were thinking remote back in 99. Yep. Way before the internet was evolved. I mean, Amazon was like a startup back then. <laughs> it was It was so much more challenging to support sites remotely back then. Like we used to have to ship you know, boxes of documents back and forth <laughs> and to make sure that they had copies of everything that we had. And, and, uh, you know, the, the development of like online meetings and, uh, you know, uh, having a connected uh, document sharing portal just changed everything for us. <laughs> That was like so game changing. Can you imagine? I like doing this because the sponsors like it when I bring them up. But like if you had a time machine and you had Creo and you showed it to Ted back in 99 and said, hey, you can manage your site. You could see what they're doing as they're doing a visit. Here's their e-source. You know, here's their e-reg. Here's the CTMS. It shows you like everything happening. What would What would Ted back then think? Oh, just one, I'd be skeptical <laughs> because are you serious? You know, it can do all this. And, you, you would uh, think it's some alien technology. Uh, I mean, this these things evolve so quickly, man. Yeah, I just lost my camera. Hang on, I'm trying I to get see. it back. It's kind of cool. It's like a uh, talking to a go. Maybe you already time traveled back into uh, 99, Ted, and you're telling him about Creo. Here, let me just, I'll fix this. Hang on. Sorry about the technical difficulties. Oh, no worries. And Versa, I mean, Versatrial also. Imagine being able to, I think my site, my site has a uh, screening visit today. And oh, yeah? they, I don't need to be there. That's one of the things like Creo and Versatrial allow me to do is like freedom from being there all the time. It's remote. I'm still locally based in Yuma, but. It's just crazy how today we take these things for granted. Like, oh, it's not just Creo. There's like 10 other vendors. And there's free ones too, like Viva. But back then we would have like killed ourselves for this. I remember when I, I needed a patient, I needed a database for my patient, for my site, right? I didn't want to just use Excel or Word. So I went to Staples. This was 2006. I went to Staples and bought my mail list, it was like a mail list for small businesses. It was like a CD-ROM. And I just customized it to make my database. I don't think it was HIPAA compliant or anything. But back then, it was not on the cloud. It was just on your desktop. Yeah. So I, we didn't have to worry about that stuff. But can you like, I had to like hack this CD-ROM from Staples 
no programming skills whatsoever. It looked like crap, but at least I got diagnosis, name, and a phone number. And that was my database. Now it's just thrown in there like free as part of the e-source. Yeah, well, I think a lot of technology has and, and our ability to embrace technology has, has happened out of necessity. So the uh, when the pandemic hit and we needed to do remote visits at our clinical trial sites, um, we didn't really like the options that sponsors were providing. So we came up with our own remote monitoring uh, portal for sponsors to use. And it also uh, was used in a regulatory inspection. And we were ecstatic when the regulators loved it. So, How did you guys pull that off? Like, what was it? Dropbox hacked version of Dropbox, or <laughs> no, no, it was a, a company that I can't even remember how we got introduced to them, but um, you know they had the technology, and we, you know, investigated it to make sure because because back then you know companies were wanting us to have a meeting with the coordinator, like a Zoom meeting with the coordinator, and the coordinator to hold up source note worksheets so that they could review them and and we just thought that was beyond ridiculous how ridiculous is that and but that shows you how fast this stuff changed yep absolutely so yeah out of necessity wow you know, things uh what is it necessity is the is the mother of invention yeah something like that <laughs> that's uh <laughs> it's just crazy to me how you guys and uh evolved you know and then it's so rare to see a, a site still around so you're saying probity is the same name as the site you started with yep yep so we it, probity was founded in 1995 and uh it's uh yeah still around still kicking still growing actually we're probably growing faster now than uh, at any point in in time and uh, lots it's it's amazing the the interest in research out there and the just the number of, of really good clinicians that you know have been in uh, medicine for you know 10 15 years and they've kind of seen everything that they thought they were going to see and and now you know what I I did a little bit of research you know in my earlier days and I want to get back into it and and that's a really common story that we hear. Are you seeing a slowdown right now? And it's June, almost July, twenty twenty three. For those watching in the future, hello guys. Uh, are you seeing a slowdown? Uh, not for us. Things are incredibly Me busy. Me too. Uh, but I'm hearing like you've got to be hearing Ramirez more connected than i am you go to conferences and you know mike you know everyone i mentioned you got to be hearing these same things layoffs at cro yeah uh, yeah i think but that's also if you think back in in there's always this roller coaster ride in clinical research these ups and downs and so one of the ways that we as a company level out these ups and downs is through diversification is through uh, growth and, and I love you guys, man. You guys are like my uh, kind of people. Oh, uh, thanks, man. Um, yeah, no, it's it's. I think we've seen lots of slowdowns before. You know, when 
when the financial industry collapsed, like what was that? Was that 15 years ago now? Yeah. Oh, eight. Yeah. That was like three years into me, two years into me being a new site owner. Oh, I thought I knew what the hell was happening. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I expanded into the great recession. Like, and I was so naive. I was what? 26. So my one site was doing well. You hear the Great Recession happening, banks going out of business. I'm like, yeah, let's open another site in L.A. That's a good yeah. idea. And then let's do another one in San Bernardino. And then let's hire more people. Oh, this is going to pass. You know, that's how I was thinking. And I expanded into a downturn. Luckily, I survived. I had to pull some strings to make it survive. I didn't have to let anyone go. But, man, did that. Dude, when I tell you, like. I got diagnosed with hypertension around that time. It it took a toll on my life, like literally. It does. It's it's stressful, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, fortunate. Like I said, when you're surrounded by good people, it's just amazing what you can accomplish. Yeah, you guys, and now you guys are the independent site now, or letting letting the sites operate independently. Um, have you gotten into like CRO type of work? Like, does it blend into like? Phase one? Well, we do phase one in disease. So Ah, we have several of our sites that are set up to be able to do phase one in disease. We don't do the the first in human healthy patient studies, but we do yeah, we do, you know, the studies in in different indications. So the phase one slash two. I've been seeing a lot of those lately. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's what uh, go ahead. The other day I saw like somebody reached out to me. They said, hey, do you want a diabetes study? I'm like, of course. That's what we do. Like, um, yeah, we're outpatient site, right? And uh, yeah. I get the CDA and I sign I get the synopsis. It's a single ascending dose, multiple ascending dose, one cohort. There's five cohorts. Three of them are healthy and two of them are type 2 diabetes with these. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not like what we can do. This is not a diabetes study. This is a... Phase one disguises a diabetes study. We're seeing a we're lot seeing, of that kind of stuff. We're seeing more of that now, and we have done those studies as well, um, where even the first in human is in the condition of, of study. And so depending on the molecule and, and the safety profile, et cetera. So we are How- starting to see earlier and earlier uh, drugs going into uh, conditions right from the start but how are they able to get away with that because that's like i looked at that study i turned it down but see 2006 dan would have taken it on and found a way to make it work 2023 yeah. dan a little more scared oh, but, you know what? it's amazing <laughs> what you'll take on in the early days to prove yourself and because we did studies back then that we just wouldn't accept now because they were too difficult to do you think we're less hungry or what? No, not not less hungry. I think it's Smarter. <laughs> a wiser use of your resources. Yeah. You know, um, you got to be careful. It's That's one of my, when it comes to a business development standpoint, like one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give to our sites is learn the art of saying no and learn when it's a good idea to turn down a study because that can be as beneficial for you as actually taking on a project because yeah. if you take on the wrong study it 
you know, it, and, and you underperform, uh, you may toast yourself with that sponsor when they have been, may have been willing to come back for the next study that may have been a good study. Um, so yeah, yeah. you got to really be careful the studies you take on now. I know. I'm glad you're, they're hearing it from you too, because we do preach this a lot. And Ted, most of the time they're like, yeah, yeah, that's a good problem to have, Dan. Uh, we'll deal with that when we get to that level. <laughs> so they're going to learn the hard way, Ted. So, yeah, that's how we learn the best lessons. But there's this <laughs> fear of missing out from the FOMO. Yeah. FOMO is real stuff. So this is so cool. We got to have you on again. Um, well, thanks, man. What was the was founder's so name again? Dr. Dr. Kim Papp. Dr. Kim Papp. Okay. I yep. got to see if I'm connected and we'll set up like a co co interview. That'll be a cool one just to like take a deep dive. See, we've already done an hour and it's like, I haven't really gotten into like many of the questions I wanted to ask. I guess one, maybe we can end with this one. Sure. You seem to be entrepreneur as a dressed up as an employee. Yep. And uh, surely you've thought about starting your own stuff, but you haven't. Uh, I don't know what the question really is, but. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> why not? Or like maybe in the future, because there's got to be others like you. I feel like you're like you're what's called an intrapreneur. Like you're yeah. an entrepreneur working in a company, which companies need to grow. Like you're probably responsible for a lot of the company's success. Well, what are you? What are your thoughts on this? I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it comes down to a lot of things. Number one, I'm a really creative person. Um, I there there I'd like to create things. Uh, I do wildlife photography. I, I found saw. my voice to write. And, I'm gonna follow the Instagram too. Oh, thanks, man. Um, and so that's one thing is is within the circumstance of you know my job, my role over the years, I've been able to create a lot and had freedom and support to be able to create. And so it's that environment where, yes, you're an employee, but you're also uh, given permission to come up with lots of ideas. And I also like solving problems. And so, you know, when you work with a uh, a boss who really is kind of like a visionary who has these dreams and then you're tasked with, okay, now I can try and find a way to pull that off. It's a, it's a really fun environment to work in. And, uh, you know, and then and then you're trying to balance that with your family life mm-hmm. and that security, I guess, of having, you know, employment Yeah. Um, when, you know, for, for my kids are older now, but uh, when you have a young family and you've got that security and yet still be able to create, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, there's been challenges. I, I won't deny that I've thought about it many times over the years. But I also see the vision of what we're trying to do as a company and where we're trying to go. And that's that's a really exciting thing to be a part of. Well, that's awesome. I mean, we'll get into more. Well, I want to do that co-interview. 
But Ted Trafford, guys and gals, you got to go connect with this guy. He's he's amazing. This could have been three hours. Um, Thanks, Dan. Easily. I appreciate it. We didn't even get into your side hobbies of nature photography or wildlife photography, but I'm going to go follow the Instagram. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, His LinkedIn is underneath this video and in the show notes. And stay tuned for part two. We're going to get the founder on. And we're going to have a conversation, me, Ted, and Dr. Paps. Dr. Pap. So sorry. (laughs) Um, Once I meet him, I'll remember his name, though, forever. Uh, Okay. Thank you, Ted. And everybody for watching. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Stay tuned. Bye-bye.